Welcome to Rogue Bows, the Common Sense series. Um, we have someone who a lot of people probably wouldn't have heard of, and that's the reason why I wanted him on the podcast. Um, a man of many lives, reading the bio, Chris Burson. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good day, Andrew. Thanks very much for having me. No worries. As I intro, you you have a really interesting. It's like you've lived four or five different lives um, than, than most people would, right? Uh, you, you've done everything. You're, you're a Melbourne boy, uh, born and bred, um, Surrey Hills, I believe. Yeah, the main streets out that way. Yeah, the leafy suburbs, um, the yeah. elite, <laughs> yeah. as, as they call them. Nah, just, just giving it to you a little bit. But yeah, I mean, going on from your childhood, I mean, let's just get into a little bit about, you know, how you got to this point. Um, you obviously went over to to the army up in Townsville. You're based up there and, and many different roles from there. So I'll let you tell it best just so our listeners can get a feel for kind of your journey before obviously going into politics. Uh, yeah, so quickly went to Chatham Primary School, went to Bowen High after that, and then afterwards I went to did a hospitality course. But about three months in, got out of that, did a twelve month massage course, um, and then my spot in the army turned up, so I ended up not doing my last exam, and then moved up to uh, did my I the uh, did Kapuka, went from there to Sydney which was IETs, which is your initial employment training, and then went to 3CR up in um, Townsville. So I lived there for a bit, came back to Melbourne uh, as a reserve unit, did my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness, was going to get out. Then a mate of mine said I should try and jump into the uh, air crewman or loadmaster, which is basically a door gunner or rescue um, rescue crewman in the back, depending on which movie it is you associate with, Black Hawk Down or The Guardian. Um, <laughs> and then I uh, was in Sydney for three years and then came down and joined the police. Wow, yeah. And you did skip a little one there, the Sydney Harbour Bridge roll? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we used Can't to forget a, that one. <laughs> well, fly, flying in and out of um, of Sydney, we used to do Victor One, which is the visual flight route that goes up along basically from Bondi around the corner, comes in, goes over Sydney Harbour Bridge, and then you we used to fly down to um, Holsworthy Air Base. And um, I just remember that the reason that was pretty much the deciding moment was when I was coming in, it was sunset, flying over Sydney Harbour Bridge, the group of people at the top of the bridge who are probably paid, I think it's around 8.50 to do this bridge walk um, at sunset, and um, they're all waving and super excited to see a chopper. I'm getting paid to be there. I'm like, this is beautiful, and then I got a text message. This, the, uh, the boys were uh, in their footy grand final the next day, and I just remembered thinking, I'm sure they're all, you know, they'd all love to be where I am, but I'm just looking a gift horse in the mouth now and um, I need to do something and then I'm not getting any younger, so I better get out and go back down south again to hang out with the gang. But I always wanted to be a copper before um, I joined the army. They just told me that I didn't have enough life experience, which, funnily enough, is um, not something they are overly keen on anymore. They just need numbers. Yeah, yeah, and a few box ticks uh, politically and socially, I guess. So, essentially, you moved back, a bit of homesickness, just to just wanted yeah. to kind of get back to get back to the roots and be around mates. Yeah, yeah. Look, it was um, like I went away. It was almost nine years. Um, like there was a lot of amazing things, but the army is your life, basically. Like it's you know, you, you wake up, especially when I was at three CR. You'd be on, you'd live on barracks. You'd get up, you do PT together, you go to breakfast together. 
go back to work, lunch together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like, and then on the weekends, because you'd go away for six weeks and you'd come back and you'd go out in the town, but you didn't know anyone because you'd been away for six weeks. You couldn't play any local sport. You always played sport with the army guys as well. So it's, it's your whole life. Like they do also look after you where they give you rent allowance. You get tax breaks when you're in remote localities. You get, um, you know, free medical, free dental. Um, in a lot of ways, they set you up for um, discipline and being able to do things for yourself, but they also baby you with, like you get out and things like Medicare. Like as a 30-year-old, I had no idea about Medicare or health insurance or having to actually take yourself to a dentist instead of my sergeant saying, hey, your six monthly's up. Um, so it's interesting that they, you know, like if we had a, had a plane crash, I'm quite happy to do, I've done combat survival courses, but like as a civilian survival course, you don't really do any of that. So Yeah, no doubt. And you were also stationed in Timor for a bit? Yeah, I did two trips to Timor, so two um, two wet seasons over there, which is October through February. Um, even just, and they were a year apart, or eight months apart, and um, just the difference in how much had grown there. Um, it, it's, it's amusing when you go to a country and then they get a set of traffic lights and all of a sudden people are driving there just to use them. And it's, you know, it's just it's things that you take for granted back home that you don't realise until you, you you travel or you go to some of these places. So I think a lot of army guys that have been to some places that aren't developed like ours, um, it gives you a, a real eye-opener. And I think that's happened recently as well from a lot of people that left other um, certain countries where they left to get away from the government and then came here and, and then started to see a lot of similar sort of warning signs for them. Yeah, definitely the early warning signs, but we do, I mean, for the most part, pre probably the last three or four years, I mean, Australia was a very safe place. I think we, we take a lot for granted living here at times. Um, as you said, uh, you know, you go and travel some countries over in Europe and Asia and, and or even go to Timor. I think it makes you, it reiterates the fact that we are, we probably complain a little bit too much, um, but I would, would also argue that we should complain in the last three or four years. Um, but t- t- how, does a, how does a boy from Surrey Hills end up wanting to go to the army? Um, a lot of that was probably just to cause dramas with my parents. They, um, cause I got out and I just wanted to sort of work in a bar and chill out for a bit. I, I wasn't really a massive fan of studying anymore. And then, um, my mum was like, if you stop studying, you just won't study again. So that's why I went to a hospitality course. And then I didn't really like that. But then again, she was like, well, you can do a barista course or a bartender's course or whatever. So I just, I did a massage course, um, cause it interested me. And then um, I was still sort of getting a bit of bit of grief because my old man's a, a truckie, so he's used to working 14-hour days and stuff, so I think he thought I was taking the piss a little bit. Um, and then I uh, go, all right, well, I'll join the army then if you guys think I'm joking, and then they're like, you won't do it. And then, um, yeah, then that was the next nine years of my life. <laughs> so almost a spite. Um, yeah. <laughs> despite your parents and be like proven wrong and just get that little little bit of extra motivation but um obviously your experiences would be uh, world renowned with with probably what you've seen and done and, and even just got to experience uh, i believe that you know that's a a vital part for anyone in society but it's it's commendable that you go into politics so then you, you obviously go to, go back down to melbourne as we spoke about um are you stationed in richmond from from the onset so you do uh the academy and that's about nine months. And then you go from there to a DTW, which is Direct uh, Dedicated Training Workplace. Um, so that was Burundara for me because they try and do it from wherever your address is. And mine was basically where my parents live. So that's why I got Burundara. Um, you do 12 weeks there. 
And then from there, you get your probationary station, which is when you're a PSET, which is a probationary constable. I can't even tell you what the ET stands for. Um, but yeah, so you get an eight, 18 months as a probationary constable. And then um, so that was, that's where I was for Richmond. And then once you get um, your first, like you get confirmed and you get your first strike, then you're, um, you then can move stations depending on the ballot. The ballot being um, once your 18 months is up, they basically have a whole bunch of country stations that can't get people. Um, and so you can either take a speta, uh, special category station. So like a lot of the places, and a lot of them are in Western region really, but like in uh, Neil, Warraknabil, I think were two of mine. Um, I can't remember what the other ones were at the time, but um, oh, Robin Vale, I think, also came up. And then if you wanted to take those stations, you can go there and um, I think it's 18 months, but then you get a free kick after that. So you sort of get to be number one on the list for a another station if you want to come back again. Um, or you go in the ballot and basically they just pull your name out of a hat and then if it's your name, you go to one of these country stations. Oh, wow. Okay. But they put, I mean, they put you right into it having Richmond as your as your first station. So, I mean, talk to me about being on the beat in Richmond, man. Um, so, Richmond's not as bad as a lot of the other stations. It's very consistent. Like, there's a lot of heroin there. Um, it started moving into ice the later I was there. It was ma- Like, it was mainly heroin at the start. Um, and it's a lot of petty crime, which is obviously conducive of people doing heroin. Um, they just walk past, try car doors. If a door opens and they take the, you know, five bucks that's in there and then move on, um, other people would walk around and try house doors. Um, if they can get inside, they'll come in and grab something and then leave. Um, there were some um, some guys who were giving um, basically given shopping lists to go and steal things and then come back to this store that they could then sell it um, and they'd give them a point of heroin or whatever. I'd be like... So one guy I had um, was stealing, uh, he stole an electric guitar, he stole a clarinet. Like these things are like five grand and he got basically $150 worth yeah. of heroin for them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, once you've got someone who's who's an addict and they can't really control themselves anymore, like a lot of people who have got nefarious reasons behind doing whatever it is they do, they can use them to, um, to do crime for them as a, a bit of a scapegoat. So if they get caught, they don't really care. Yeah, there's layers. I mean, we're, we're seeing it today in- um at least in Melbourne, it's being kept pretty hush hush. But the, the the car thefts are still are still rampant, and we'll get into why that's kind of kept so quiet a little bit later. But I, you know, I had a family member lose two cars uh, a week ago um, in a Bayside suburb, and it's it's the cops are just, I mean, kind of nonchalant about it. They're like, you know, get a dog. <laughs> that was the answer they got because <laughs> because they they see it so much. They they it's it just become. It's not even a shock value when the police show up anymore because they're just like, yeah, we'll, we'll find it in a couple of weeks. It'll do some crimes. It'll do some robberies and then we'll find it. And yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're scared by a dog, but, you know, the people I know have two young children in the house when it happened and, and it's easier said than done for the families, right? But it's just not, hasn't really been, you know, it's, it's not politicized as it once was um, or sorry, publicized as it once was. And and even politicized really, it's not spoken about. It's kind of been kept mm. quiet, but it's, it's. I can tell people out there right now it's rampant. They said there were seven, seven in that area in the last week in that one suburb, um, which is which is pretty concerning. The an, an issue I have with people having their car stolen, a, a lot of people just look at it like it's just property. And it's like, well, a lot of the time they're not stealing the car from hot wiring it. They come in, they grab the keys, then they steal your car. So it's not- just stealing a car. Generally, they've come in your house. Um, like these brand new Mercedes and BMWs and things aren't getting stolen because they've got poor security. 
You know, like they literally come in, take the keys, and then they take your car. So when people are wondering how they get the car, it's because they've taken the keys. Exactly right. And, and the fact that your kids are asleep, that, that's the big thing. It's its who gives a shit about the car at the end of the day or, or the possession, right? It's my kids were sleeping in a room next to the garage or above the garage or that's what's scary. Someone was walking through your house and, and for anyone who's been robbed, I've been robbed, most people have at some point. You just have that dirty, dirty feeling, especially when you have young children. Oh, it's And it also leads to a lot of other things like- um, a lot of times it puts pressure on relationships. Like if there's husbands and wives and then it comes in, a lot of the time the wife doesn't feel safe anymore and it leads to a wedge between them. You know, like the wife might be like, why didn't you do something about it? And he's like, what did you want me to do? And then he feels inadequate because he couldn't protect his family and they end up getting divorced. And then, you know, like they all, the whole family might just go, we don't feel safe in this house anymore. We're leaving um, because the house brings them trauma now. You know, like there's there's a lot of flow and effects that don't seem to be acknowledged through the court system as it being a a bigger crime. You know, like in America, for example, you steal a car; it's grand theft auto. It's a big deal. Um, here, it's just like they don't care if you steal seven in a week. It's just property theft. Yeah, and the fact that a lot of these, a lot of the people that are that are. Uh, the kind of finding young kids to do it, you know, that are under 18. So that's the, I mean, you would have seen this when you're on the beat. They, they get younger kids to do things because the sentences aren't as harsh and they go to juvie. They don't go to jail, right? So, um, and the kids will do it for $500 or, or whatever it is. But um, we'll get into that a little bit more later. 2014, you go to the operational response unit. Mm-hmm. Followed followed by the public order response team, followed by the critical incident response team, and then you do some part time negotiating too. Um, talk us through all that, man. That's that's some pretty hectic stuff. So the operations response unit was actually made in rela- in uh, response to the bushfires because the um like there's only like a lot of the country coppers are just a one man station or one person station I should say um you know and they're not like they can't shut all the roads down they can't do all this sort of thing so it was sort of created in the wake of the bushfires to have a stand up unit that can then just send three hundred coppers to help out um so it was mainly made for floods and bushfires and then in the meantime when when it wasn't either of those seasons then there was a whole bunch of coppers sitting around doing nothing so they ended up making a lot of them did um like you'd go to places like um, broad meadows um dandenong springvale all these places that had high crime and were getting then the local coppers were getting smashed they'd go out there but then they made the public order response team it was actually just a qualification in the oru so the operations response unit was the whole unit that was used because it wasn't all public order qualified people. Um, and then people in there did the public order response team course, which used to be two weeks, which is now down to, I don't know, like maybe a week, I think might be less. Um, we then did the public order response team course, which was then used for obviously protests. Um, we did reclaim Australia rally. Um, we did Grocon protests. Um, what else? A lot of it was um, uh, like vegans and at abattoirs or people with climate change gluing themselves to roads and, and that sort of thing. Um, but we also did like out of control parties. Um, any any sort of time when there was, you know, two divvy vans can't just rock up with with four people and then solve it. You need to have a bunch of extra coppers. But as with every specialist unit, you have a bunch of boxes to tick before they'll bother sending it. And a lot of the time, the the crime's over or the thing's been resolved by to you know, junior members on the on the van in the meantime. Um, and then from there I went to CERT, which is a critical incident response team. Um, they do – they have negotiators. We have a task operations team in there doing warrants and things. Um, you have the CPP guys, which is the close personal protection who look after the Premier and Prince Harry and, 
you know, the president, anyone else who turns up in Australia, they, they help out with the, um, the federal police. Um, and just in general, we do other things like we, um, you do CST, which is a CERT security team. So you've got two guys sitting there waiting for terrorist attacks, basically. Um, so they're just sitting there waiting the whole time. Um, so it's got it's got a lot of different jobs, but the the vast majority of time it's people in in crisis. So whether they be suffering from depression and, and want to commit suicide, or whether they are having an ice induced psychosis, and um, you know, I mean, as a negotiator, it's pretty hard to try and negotiate with someone like that. But you've got to at least give it a chance. And then there's obviously a training wing in CERT as well, and um, OIU also has a training wing for the public order response stuff. Which so was was Port the the old uh, friends of the rubber bullets? Was that Port or CERT? They both of them have capabilities. So Port have um, the paintball. I'm speaking to the yeah to the the protesters the protest that the, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're talking yeah. about at the sh- at the shrine. Yeah, yeah, when they shot, when they shot some people in the back, and yeah, at the shrine was um, was cert. So the public okay. order response team have the paintball guns, and they have marking paint, so they can catch up with people later. They also have the like the little um, tear gas rounds as well, so they shoot them at the ground, and then they just dis- help disperse a crowd. Whereas cert have um, the bit you'll see the big revolver looking thing, um, it's a grenade launcher sort of thing, which shoots yeah. the big ru- the big rubber baton. Rounds, yeah, pretty intimidating. So they're they're kind of the next next level up from port, right? Yeah. So after, but again, so it's not generally used for crowd control because it's not they don't do um, crowd tactics and and that sort of thing. That that's actually the public order response team's bag. So I don't I don't know why that got handed over to cert. Um, but, yeah. but but usually the cert cert are usually no nonsense. They're coming in and they're they're taking they're taking control by all means, right? Port are a bit more. Would you say port would be a bit more kind of you know engaging first? It, it seemed like when once cert got involved, it was like no more questions. We're just coming in and, and we're dispersing this crowd at all costs. Generally, when cert turn up, it's because there's an armed defender or um, something's happened. So there was a lot of reports of people um, lighting firecrackers and throwing them at police. Um, there was. Um, like water balloons full of urine being thrown. Um, like there was, there was people, there was coppers getting injured at certain parts. Whether that was happening at the shrine or whether it was happening elsewhere is um, another issue. Because if you're at the shrine and you don't see any of that, it obviously it's just like what's going on. Um, from what I, because I didn't actually attend any of the protests, but from what I've heard from other people I've spoken to, there was a lot of screaming and um, not a lot of direction on the radio. Um, so, I mean, that's probably on the management more than the people on the ground. Um, but generally, CERT only turn up when there's armed defenders. Yeah, rightfully so, because um, they, yeah. I've got a friend that was in the army as well, and he's well aware of kind of port and CERT, and he was saying once they rock up, it's kind of, it's it's no more talking. It's um, it's on for young and old. When you were involved in all of these, so, so Victoria Police, port, CERT, how much kind of political pressure did you receive for any kind of events or um, from your upper command or was, was there any of that ever discussed back then? Like, you know, hey, we're going to handle this differently. Oh, we're getting pressure in the media from this or, hey, a police said this or the premier said this or did you were you kind of immune to that? No, there was definitely political pressure. Like um, as soon as the media turn up, for example, at a, at a search job, it goes from being able to be resolved really quickly to we need to be overly seen to be um, – you know, giving the guy, and a lot of the time it comes at the expense of giving them too much um, room to move, and then it drags out for you know, like it'll drag out for two days instead of being over in four hours. Um, 
and then but there was things when I was at the public order response team. Um, for example, I had a lot of army mates of mine who would message me or ring me and give me abuse about the Australian flag being burnt all the time. Um, and when it was raised with management, I said, can we at least do something about it? And they're like, it's just a piece of material. And I was like, okay. To you it is, but to other people it's not. Um, and it's inciting people to show a lot of hatred towards other people. Um, but, again, they're like, at the end of the day, it's just burning a piece of material, let them go. Um, they're like, at best, you can put it out. And I was like, well, if you if you drop a cigarette, for example, it's deposit burning litter, which is like a $583 ticket, you can then get somebody's name and address. So at least if somebody's burning a flag, you can at least get their name and address because they're burning something in the street, which is an offence of some description. At least be seen speaking to them to sort of try and appease one side of it. And then I suggested, what are we going to do if somebody burns an Aboriginal flag? And then everyone said that person will be arrested for riotous behaviour. And I said, well, how how is this any different? And they're like, well, because if you burn an Aboriginal flag, there's probably going to be a bunch of Aboriginals who get really upset and then start fights and do whatever, so it's inciting a riot. I was like, well, how is it different from one side to another? Yeah, because you're judging it upon the actions of the of, of the you know whatever flag you're burning by the reaction of those people is how that's what it seems like. Oh, you know most most Australians won't won't arc up by an Australian flag burning, but the Indigenous community might, or even even other other cultures, creeds, religions would. You know, there's there's like Islam, for instance. You know, you, you try that. That's it's. I've got Islamic friends, very very passionate people, and they're, they're going to show up and they're going to they're going to do what it takes to, to to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's kind of and what else is contradictory about what you said is I believe this was back then when you were talking about the Australian flag being burned. I believe uh, Victoria Police put out a mandate um, stopping the, a certain type of Australian flag being sewn onto kind of police gear. Um, I heard about this through a mate of mine. It was kind of a, I think it was a, a, a it was the, uh, I think it was in, the, the flag was in, uh, the inside of it was in red, I believe. It was a certain type of Australian flag. I didn't know too much about it, but I, I know that they mandated you couldn't have those on your on yourself in police gear. So it's kind of hypocritical that back when you were around, they didn't care about the Australian flag, but if you put it on any of your uh, your items, you got kind of mandated not to, which was, yeah, interesting in itself. Well, that changed um, around the Black Lives Matter protests. So we had – so coppers have had a thin blue line um, flag for ages, right? Like it's been around for over a decade mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware. Um, but – also, the fireys have got a thin red line. Um, ambulance have got a thin green line. Like every every first responder basically has a flag with a line through it. Um, and then after Black Lives Matter, that got turned around to um, be any any copper who was wearing that is racist. Like it was because because more flags came out because some people were in support of the police. Um, then it became a us or them thing, whereas it, it had always been around and it had always been about supporting the police. Um, and then after Black Lives Matter came out, it got changed to it being a a racist flag, I guess. So so that flag got banned. Um, and then they went, well, you're not allowed to display any flag that isn't um, a normal Australian flag. And then it got changed to you just can't have any patch any patched flag at all. Um, and then some of the guys that I worked with got quite upset because they were all veterans and they were like, well, hang on a minute, I can't have a normal Australian flag just on my gear. And they're like, no, no, no extra stuff. And then it was raised that we had plenty of Victoria Police members getting around with um, the rainbow flag on as a Australian flag, etc. So everyone's like, well, okay. So we're, again, we're picking and choosing when 
an Australian flag is okay and when it isn't. Yeah, it's clearly 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 political. Yeah, there's a lot of political issues in police. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's why that's I kind of had a feeling we, we've seen it the last couple of years just because of COVID. I think it's the one positive. Not it's not a positive, but the one good thing about COVID is it's kind of pulled this out into the open of how political it really is. I mean, one one thing you've um, noted, which I, th- I felt was really interesting, um, was kind of dealing with media, um, and this is one of the things you're running on, which we'll discuss later, but. Says you, you witnessed firsthand how the media told the story they wanted to tell, and not necessarily anything remotely close to what had occurred. Um, it said you, you witnessed firsthand as an arresting member of, of Jonathan Dick um, that uh, you were also there for the arrest of Richard Pusey in that horrific um, accident, um, which numerous numerous members died and passed away. Um, and after multiple arrests and how they were reported, uh, you realise that both government and media aren't transparent and that neither seems to correct the other when, when one's wrong or one's lying or not telling the whole truth. And um, once you got over the initial shock of this and how it impacts society, it only strengthens your resolve to be transparent and honest in your dealings um, with communication to the media and the public. But touch a little bit on that. I mean, we, we see it a lot. We, we, we saw the spin with, with, with COVID. We've seen the spin with different things. We just spoke about the fact that you know, cars are still disappearing at all-time level in, in in Victoria, and because it's an election year, you don't hear anything about it whatsoever. Um, talk to us about the spin that you've kind of been involved with in, in when you were a copper, and and just why you're so passionate about um, you know making sure the truth gets out there. Um, so, le- pretty early on, we le- a lot of the times at protests was the big one where, um, obviously, if there's if cops didn't turn up, a lot of the time protests would just be pointless is nobody would care which is why protesters go out of their way to do things so for example you'll have a line of police standing there and then in front of them you'll have a bunch of protesters that hold a sign up saying i don't know climate action now or or whatever it is nothing offensive but then whilst they're standing in front of a cop they'll then kick the back of their feet up to kick you in the shins for example um and they'll you know you can't see that because it's behind a big thing that they're draping out and they're just doing it to obviously get a reaction so that the police will grab them and do whatever, which will make it look great on TV. So, but again, the police don't, whether that's because they don't want to um, interrupt the court case or whatever it is, but the police could come in and say, that person was, arre- um, was arrested because they allegedly um, had kicked someone in the shin or because they spat on a cop or they did whatever. Um, other things was at the East West Link, for example, we had... Um, a lot of people from um, the houses in, in, in Fitzroy that were going to get pulled down and they were actually protesting. They were upset about losing their houses, which is fair and valid. But there was a bunch of socialists who would also turn up and they would link arms with old people and then when you would go to disperse them, they would grab an old person and throw them on the ground and then when you would go to help them up, that's when the uh, the media would take a photo because it looks like you're standing over an old lady who you've just pushed over. And that's obviously not to be mistaken with the old lady that got thrown over in Richmond recently, um, because there was at least there was video of that, so you can actually see the whole the whole thing. But um, even just uh, arrests I'd been at pretty early on at CERT, where they were saying um, after a short amount of time the guy came out peacefully, and you're like, well, no, we had to spray him full of spray and then we had to go in through a barricaded door that he had and then we went inside and we did whatever but from the outside it looked probably looked quite calm and then there's um you know and he tried to stab the shield i was holding two times and then threw a kettle of water at me and stuff like that but in the media it was just portrayed as it was no big deal it was just a guy having a mental health episode and he just came outside so it's it's sort of but that's on the police as well for not speaking to the media 
Are you allowed? Are you allowed to speak to the media though? Were you allowed when you were in force? Um, me, me personally, no. So, if, so if a journo journo came up to you and said, "Hey, what happened here? You're not allowed. Are you? You're barred for? Is that per your your guidelines and agreement? Oh yeah. So you've got a you've actually got a media crew. So. Um, you'll have a designated person. So that's why you'll have those stand-ups at the end where whoever it is that wants to get their face on TV will sit there and say, we did a great job today. This is what happened and rah, rah, rah. Like occasionally that will happen, um, which, which you know, if the media want that, it should be able to, it should happen. There should be a spokesperson that tells them what happened. It's in the public's best interest to know what happened in their area. I also understand that if we reported every crime that came up, people would look more into the police and say, are they really doing their job? So- I mean, there's that side of the fence as well where they, they don't want to be seen to realise how much crime's actually going on because, you know, A, we don't have the coppers to fix it anyway, but B, it, it creates a sense of unease where – and that's where Australia, I think, is is interesting. We, we spend a, a lot of the time in this state of just peaceful bliss that we assume nothing's, nothing bad's going on and it's not until something like a pandemic happens or you get broken into or there's a war or whatever, you don't realise the inadequacies in your government, police – um, ambulance system, your health system, your army until you actually need it. Um, similar when you have house insurance and then you go to ring them and you say, hey, this has happened. And they're like, oh, you're not actually covered for that. Okay. You know, like it's, it's, it's that sort of same setup I find. What I'm asking basically, if it, let, let's say you were leaving a scene or whatever and, and a journo literally came up to you and just, just, you know, stopped you on the street. Would you, if you commented on something, you would be reprimanded or you can't under any circumstances, right? No, and you, you can. I mean, if you could go up and speak to them, but you'd expect to be hearing about it when you got back later. Um, and then, you know, like if there's if there was photos and that sort of thing, they um, and generally people would try and turn their face away or do whatever because some and a lot of coppers are interested in trying to do um, undercover work or do whatever else. So if their photo is in the media, so a lot of people are like, oh, they're trying to hide who they are, and like, they probably are, but that might be because they have an interest in. Um, doing plain clothes work or undercover work or whatever. So again, that's a a thing with the media just making up a story, making up a narrative that the coppers are all trying to hide their face because they're ashamed of who they are and things like. There, there are other reasons behind it, but um, yeah, like you can't have an opinion on Facebook. We used to be able to, um, but you could write this is um, the views of me, not my employer or whatever it was. Um, but then that just blatantly went out the window, and you're not even allowed to have a your own opinion anymore publicly. So if you yeah. wrote anything on Facebook and then your boss found it because there's a whole bunch of coppers sitting out there stalking copper profiles to make sure you're not speaking out of line, um, then you'd um yeah, then you'd be in trouble for it. So speaking to the media would be highly frowned upon. Yeah, well it makes sense. But it's just gotta be frustrating because then you're you're at the detriment of, of your media liaison and, you know, them at least putting out what what has happened but they would also get, you know, in that political spin of, oh, don't don't say that. Let's just let's just tweak it to this, and then obviously you guys get made to look like shit some of the time as well. And you really don't have a voice unless your liaison or union um, kind of comes up to bat for you, which which can be hit or miss sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Like depending on what the what the union's trying to achieve. Um, like when there's an election year and we're trying to get. Um, an increase in cash or whatever it is, then they may tow the company line more because they've been told, "Yep, if you guys shut up, we'll you know we'll give you we'll make you guys look good by giving you some extra things." Um, and then if you're not coming to the table, then they might be more forceful about what um they talk about. Yeah, fair uh, enough. But other but other things with um the police and media is 
you look, you look at crime stats. If your crime stats are going up, that doesn't necessarily mean crime's going up in your area. It just means it could potentially mean your coppers are doing a better job. Because if you've got a bunch of coppers who are new and they're super keen and they're out and about and they're being proactive, then they will find more crime, in which case your crime will go up. If you've got a bunch of coppers who are flat out, they've got everybody's going sick, they can't even get a van on the road and they're, you know, they can only respond to the most emergency calls ever, then crime stats will actually go down. So it's, you know, crime crime stats aren't are just a, a stat that they use to say things, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's like the unemployment rate. You know, like, I mean, you can say a percentage, but whether it means anything or not is another question, depending on how you look at the data. But even the data, does the data then get, like, say you you guys log all the data, does it then go to a, a kind of someone in Victoria Police and the government to say, oh, we're not going to release all that right now, or oh, we're just going to do a bit of this, or does is it kind of whatever data's logged, it's made public? I don't actually know where all the data goes. Um, there's a state tasking area. Um, I would suggest that they're the ones that get it because OIU gets deployed a lot of the time based off that tasking. So if car crime is going up um, somewhere, they'll send the OIU out there. So when I was at the OIU, they used to um, there was one weekend in Bendigo that was generally when all the um, the breakup parties would be for Christmas, and there was a lot of drink driving that would happen over that time. So we would actually just get sent up there for one day because that was their basically their worst night for. Um, you know, people dying from drink driving and things like that. So the stats are recorded and go somewhere and a lot of the time they try and respond to that um, that way. It's just um, it's other crime that's where like um, armed crime, um, firearm crime, that sort of thing is generally seems to be because I, when I tried to look into it to get cert, to get um, tasked to certain areas, um, more it was every local area has its own little armed crime force that has its own stats, but it doesn't seem to be collated overall. So you could actually send a centralised unit like CERT to patrol certain areas because they're more likely to to do things. Whereas like the people of Box Hill would know where armed crime's happening for the people of Box Hill, and then the Dandenong guys would know the local area where there's a high crime, etc. And where it'd be the same thing. Yep. But they're not talking to each other and being centrally managed to then be able to task us to go out. Well, them, sorry, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, communication is obviously an issue. One final one on, on Victoria Police. Did you fo- Have you followed the iCook Foods story? Yeah, yes. I'm not all that in-depth. I know about the slug and, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, um, and just the, the I guess, the pass the parcel of their case to different different departments and different police. I mean- Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, uh, Ian told me a bit about that when I, I spoke to him that time. Um. Yeah, like that. Even that report that's been leaked or whatever it is, that's there's. Uh, I don't know if you've read it, but there's there's stuff in there that that just is basically saying that the investigation probably wasn't done that well. Um, it is interesting that the staffers were all arrested and interviewed, but none of the politicians were um, because it's the same crime, it's the same offence. Um, you know, if it, if it wasn't in the public's best interest for the politicians to to be in there, then it probably wasn't in the best interest to do it with the staffers either. And they could have, instead of doing raids and things, they could have just organised them all to come in for a rest by appointment and then come in. Um, so, I mean, there are, it sounds like there was definitely certain leniences made for politicians over, um, over the staffers, but I can't, uh, like after reading it, you know, there's, there's too, there's too many things in there that are unable to be proven 
Um, and the reason they're unable to be proven is probably because it's not being investigated. So, I mean, you could put, and this, again, this is one of the things that if you were more transparent, you could put it to bed really early instead of it being reopened every time somebody else leaks something. The more times something's leaked, the, you know, the more times it looks like something's probably happened. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of smoke there. Um, it, it has been, you know, <laughs> just Ian Cook's story of the way they, they found files on the hard drive that were meant to be deleted. Um, that Victoria Police said, you know, we're investigating. We don't have, we don't have blah blah blah. And then they they find this on on a hard drive that they did have cause. They did have this. They did have that. And then it gets passed on to another bureau. And then it gets passed to Moorabbin. And then now it's then it's in Cranbourne. I mean, um, yeah, it's just interesting with Victoria Police. Have you ever dealt with anything of those of that magnitude when you were involved? No. So I've never been a detective. Like I was never doing any of the investigations. I just. Um, grabbed the guys after the detectives found him and said he's in there, bring him out. Um, But, and this is, I said this to Ian as well, I was like, mate, look, if you find something on your computer, at no point was there ever a reason, you know, for a copper to use your hard drive and then save his own work onto it. I would suggest that there's police inside who thinks there's something dodgy going on and they're trying to help out. Oh wow! Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, Fair like, enough. like a, a lot of the a lot of the time that something comes out in the Age or the Herald Sun or whatever, there's there's members behind the scenes who are actively trying to get information out for people um, that they think needs to be covered, and obviously the bosses or the media unit or whoever else it is don't don't want it to be out for for one reason or another um and then like that's where all these things come from you know like you look at voice for victoria and her little birdies like there's yeah. obviously police <laughs> giving her you know giving giving her intel on how many coppers are leaving and and coming you know coming and going every time like the the more there's no faith in your hierarchy the more leaks come out you know it's similar to the government when there's leaked information and you're like sometimes that's leaked deliberately to get a story out there without them actually saying it and then there's other times where there's members inside who are like this is not what I signed up for and because you can't be a whistleblower in certain areas without being publicly shunned and that sort of thing it's easier to just leak it to the media provided you have faith in the media but a lot of people have lost faith in the media as well so now it's sort of at a point where why people are just leaving and going to other states yeah it's interesting there is a a lot of people leave in the, the great state of Victoria. Um, all right, let's get into politics. So part of the Australian Values Party is the Angry Victorians Party, um, which is what you're running under at the moment, uh, AVP for both, so pretty clever um, that you've done AVP for both, which is kind of cool. But why politics? Why why have you decided to, to get involved in that cesspool? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, because it just was intruding everything in everybody's life. Um you know, like I've 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 watched politics. Um, I've got involved with just watching talk time and things, but I can only manage about five minutes. And then I was just ashamed that these people were the people running the country, but it didn't really affect my life. And I feel like that's pretty much everybody I speak to at the moment. They hate speaking politics, but it's you know they're like I just want my beer to be cold, and I want you know to be able to watch TV when I get home. And I'm like, that's cool, but your price of electricity is going up. You know, you're price of beer is through the roof because of taxes that are on your beer. You know, you can't have, you know, if you're a smoker, you're paying double because of tax, but I understand why. And then you've got fuels so much, but it's an excise. Then you try and drive on a road, but there's potholes. And you're like, well, what am I paying so much in fuel for when I'm not getting this? And it's just, and then that was creeping into my workplace where, you know, things were, you know, standards were changing from what they initially were because of 
you know, we needed different demographics and then we needed, um, we couldn't get enough people in. So then we lower the standards again. And it's like, well, that's just diluting the people that you've got left and creating distrust between the people who came through an old harder system and then the new system where we're trying to give people a leg up to do certain things. It just, it just creates division rather than trying to lift the people up to get them up to the standard that we always had set. Um, it's just the easier response is to just lower standards and, that just seemed to be what's happened in politics now where the standard of person in there is just so oblivious to everything out on the street um, and it's just creeping into, you see, Ambos aren't happy, police aren't happy, fireys aren't happy, the people aren't happy with the police and that's because of, you know, like what, what politicians have made the police do and a lot of people just use the police as a sounding board and as a punching bag and whatever else, because you're in a uniform, you stop being a human, according to most civilians. You're just a person in a, you know, you're you're a bootlicker who's in a uniform, um, and they forget that there's a person in there. Um, and that was really disheartening to see that just nobody seemed to appreciate the police anymore, and that was purely because of the the politicians who were in. Um, I mean, Shane could have stood up and just said, you know what, we're not actually doing this, but he would have been stood down really quick. So. Um, but that's the but, thing. Where, where do you draw the line? That's, that's what's hard about it. Look, I, I'm under the assumption, and I think a lot of people are, that you know, Victoria Police have now been tarnished as 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 the wing of Daniel Andrews, right? Um, especially during the pandemic, you could see, you know, there was there was good and bad on both sides, good protesters and bad protesters, and there was good cops and bad cops that went 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 over the line of what they're supposed to do. So, like you said, you lose a lot of trust, and I think that starts at the top. It starts with your leadership, and and most people, you know, that were involved in whether they lost their job because of mandates or whether their business went under and then they're watching these protests, they put two and two together and they say, well, Victoria Police looks like it's completely political now. And you can't you can't argue against that too much. I've, I had interactions with some great um, Victoria Police members. I was, I was at a playground back when the um, – uh, I still remember this. Back when the mandates were on where you weren't allowed uh, on a playground, I was near a playground at the time with my kids, but the playgrounds were supposed to be closed. And there was kids on the monkey bars and there was a an irate kind of middle-aged Karen abusing these kids. Like they were like, there was only two of them in the whole playground. It was brother and sister or, or whatever it was, they were friends. And this lady's abusing the kids and then finds a parent, starts abusing the parents. There's a coronavirus while they're on the playground. And then my wife and I, um, with our kid as well, saw the cops um, approaching the lady. And I was like, oh, here we go. They're not going to take the kids off the playground. And you know what they did? They told the Karen to piss off and <laughs> I was like, I was so happy to see that man because I was like, like not not only that, you got two young kids, like we all know the playground, they're not, they're not spreading COVID on a playground. It's two young kids, kids barely even touch kids or, or affected kids and it was so nice to see that. So, there is good cops. They were like, you know, and the lady was in shock. It was amazing because the lady was like, you know, get those kids off the playground, have a talking to, to the parents and- they're like, nah, lady, we're asking you to leave, like go home. <laughs> and it was great, right? So to your point, there is good and there is bad. But I think that, you know, there are some people out there in the public that just think Victoria Police are, are a political arm at the moment. But that's I mean, that's fair enough too because, I mean, we were enforcing everything that Dan said. But again, um, that comes down to voters. And if you don't like what happened and you don't like how the police are at the moment, then you need to vote differently. Because the police are doing what the public have voted for. So if you vote for Dan and Dan isn't doing what you wanted him to do, then vote against him. But if you appreciated, you know, lockdowns and you thought that the police were justified doing everything that they did, then 
he's the guy for you. Like it's that, that's what you've that's what you're voting for. Um, the the police can't pick and choose what laws are. Politicians write those laws, um, and a lot of the times when you see the laws, and you're like, that's not going to work well. When you're a copper, you're like, this is literally going to be a drama with every case that we have up. You can see it beforehand, but when you're in Parliament House and you live in a gated community, or you know you have police out the front of your house twenty four seven, for example, um, you know, like it's a different. You've got a different set of rules anyway. So writing laws and rules for people that you don't have to abide by, I think, is a bit rich. Um, but the public need to realise that everything I've seen about the corruption that's going on in the government literally seems to have no actual laws written, and that's obviously because politicians don't want to write laws that holds them accountable, but. You know, if you're a voter and you're voting for Dan Andrews, then you're voting for the police to be the way they have been. If you hated the way the police were and you want to go independent or you want to go liberal or whoever else it is who's saying that they're going to get rid of the laws, then the police no longer enforce that. So people that hate the police need to turn their hate from the police to the government because they made those laws that you hate. And and I get that uh, there's a lot of police who didn't. Like for me, for example, I was not a big fan of enforcing them because they weren't laws to me. Like they were, they were rules that were written which didn't seem to be fit for purpose. But again, any complaint that would have come in, I would have been investigated and then I would have received an admonishment for doing it or whatever other reason. And that would have put me behind on promotion and it would have put me behind on getting my pay jump every um, every year that it goes up. Um, like it comes at an expense. If you, if you go out of your way to go out – so, for example, if you have a speeding ticket – and somebody's doing 30 over and they're going to lose their license and they're a cabbie or a truckie or whatever it is. I'm like, mate, you're well aware you're over the limit and I'm going to give you a how's about I'll give you a ticket for 10 over and you just you cop it on the chin. And he's like, yep, no dramas. And then when they go, then he contests that and he goes to court and now I'm looking like I'm being shady because I've dropped 20 kilometres an hour off his ticket for him. And he's like, well, was he doing 30 over or was he doing 10 over? He's like, your, uh, your integrity has been called into question, uh, Mr. Burson, and then it gets thrown out. So then everybody now gets a ticket for 30 over and there's no discrepancy. Oh, there's no um, – God, what's my name now? Leeway. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, there's no leeway that I'm going to give anyone anymore because I've been burnt once. So when you see that highway patrol copper who's not looking after you, it's because he's had other people burn it. The same rule applies, seems to be, with the government where one person does something wrong, we need to write a law for it, um, which isn't a culture that I'm a massive fan of. I like to take everybody on their own individual merits. Yeah, Kerry Packer once famously said in his inquisition with the Australian government that um, how about when you politicians introduce a new law, you get rid of an old one. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, it yeah. just makes sense because we've got we've got a book that's you know an encyclopedia of laws. That some of them are just so silly and mundane, and some of them are from the early 1900s that are still in force. And and it was a valid point. If you're going to bring a new one in, I want to call another one. Fair enough. Yeah, but there's also tax. You look at taxes we've got. Like we had a luxury car tax that we brought in. Um, to save the local car manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have any local car manufacturing anymore, but we still have that tax. Mm-hmm. There's um, like there's all sorts of taxes like that that we have that were designed to do something, but they never took them away once that didn't work. And then, like, I've been talking to people about um, having a six-month and a 12-month checkup on any new law that you have. Like, it should just be in place as an interim law until it's been – because, I mean, you can have the five people that actually bother turning up to Parliament debating a law – but that's not going to be the be-all and end-all. As soon as it goes out, then the courts always have to decide. And then that comes down to, um, you know, especially when it turns out to be a, a pretty crappy law, then the police lose and then it becomes um, the public to pay. And it's like, well, that's taxpayers' money. And that's because politicians wrote crappy laws. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're voting on these laws based on 
you know, or, or we saw it with the mandates with the, the, the minor parties that continues the Andrews reign of, of, um, of the coronavirus laws and the lockdowns and whatnot, you know. So a lot of times it's done tit for tat as well. Like, so you got to understand that, you know, someone's going to vote for something that's probably not in their best interest, but it's in their party's best interest to say yes and then they get they get something back in return and um, bureaucrats behind the scenes are notorious for that, you know. So that's that's what other people need to, need to realise as well, which sucks. But um, get, getting back onto the Angry Victorians party, mm. um, you know, a lot of people touch on independence, especially at the last federal election, um, you know, basically saying, well, is, is there a point in voting independent? Because if you, let's say, if you want to get Dan out, you should just vote with the other big party to get Dan out. So in this case, you should just vote liberal. If you're, if you're voting for an independent, it's a it's a wasted vote. Um, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I, and I understand where they're coming from. If you, realistically, the easiest way to vote if you're um, anywhere is vote against whoever your current sitting member is. Because if you turn every seat marginal, you're going to get more interest. Um, if you live in a safe seat, so Lara, for example, is a safe seat. Um, if everybody here voted for an independent or liberal, then that would turn their seat closer to being marginal. I'm aware that Labor people aren't just going to turn around and vote Labor. Uh, sorry, vote Liberal. So if you're on either side of the fence, it's probably best if you can't vote for the other side that you vote for an independent because at least then the closer it is, like if there's 130 votes in it, like I think the seat of Ripon was last time, they'll, they'll be throwing some cash at that area because both of them can win. If you look at Lowland, it's been a national seat since... I think 82 or something like that, 82, 86, they, they don't care. They've had that seat for 40 years. Why would they need to do anything? They don't. So if if you're anywhere, the easiest thing for you to do is vote for the other team um, to try and turn it marginal. If you don't think either of the parties have done any good, then vote for an independent. Um, and, again, this is different for lower and upper house as well. So your upper house because it covers your whole region, you might be in a safe seat. So if you're in the national seat that is, has it's been there for 40 years and it's not going to change anytime soon as far as you're aware, you might be one of those people that now just draws a penis on your ballot paper because you've just given up. Your, <laughs> yeah. upper, ha- your upper house vote is different because it comes into, so for example, the federal election. I was running for the Senate in the federal election. 150,000 people threw their vote away. That on its own was a seat. So- if 150,000 people had, instead of just throwing their vote away, all voted for me, I'd have a seat in Parliament. So all those people that think their vote doesn't count, in the upper house especially, it is vitally important because some people were getting in front of another party by 22 votes, which then meant the preference system then goes from them to someone else and then people end up getting a seat. Um, So the upper house is actually very important because regardless of what your local seat is, you can still change the upper house members. Um, and the upper house members are the ones that then can scrutinise the legislation and then push back on whatever the the majority government in the lower house is doing. So if if you had everybody in the upper house was liberal and the, everybody in the lower house was labour, they wouldn't be passing anything. Um, you know, like the the upper house having a majority in the lower and the upper house, then everyone you know all bets are off. Nobody has any say anything. You've got four years of whatever that government is trying to do, which could go good or bad depending on what the government is. But the more minor parties you can have in the top, the more discussion, arguments, etc., um, different viewpoints are going to come into it, which then has to be listened to when it gets pushed back down to the lower house to fix it. But if you're wanting Dan gone, realistically, the only way you can do that is to vote for Ian Cook. Um, I mean, or Aidan McClendon, or I can't remember who else is going down there. But Anyone, anyone but in his seat of Mulgrave, yep. 
Yeah, so the Cedar Mulgrave really has the most pressure on them, I would suggest, out of getting rid of Dan Andrews because you can get rid of Dan solely from that. Um, and then after that, if you want to have the majority seats, I get what they're saying by saying if you vote for Liberal. But if you're in a safe Labor seat, that doesn't really matter anyway. Um, and then you've got the the money, for example. If you vote for either of the big two parties, as soon as the first one gets in, they get three hundred grand. Yeah, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Break this down for people because this is this is absolutely crazy, and it it just keeps the monopoly of those two big parties as strong as they are. But break it all down for us. Yeah. So from what I've seen, the reason you have a party is because. For starters, you can have a group of people that come together and you sort of have a, a, a group of values and, and it helps you've got a, a sounding board for people. But if you once you get your seat, the first person that gets elected, you get 300 grand. After that, you get 35 grand for each member that is also um, elected. So if you look at how many seats the bigger parties are getting, you can work that out with a calculator pretty easily. But then you've also got votes. So anytime you get over 4% of the votes, you get to claim back whatever it is. So at the moment, everything's coming out of my pocket, but if I get 4% of the votes, I can claim back everything I've spent. And then you also have votes. So I can't remember which way. I think the lower house is like 650 a vote and then the upper house is like 350 a vote. So every vote you get that's a first preference, so it doesn't matter what happens after those preferences, every first preference that that party gets that much cash. So if you have a look at how many votes are going, you know, like to get a seat in the upper house, you need 55,000 votes. So when you see that Labor got two seats, you can realise that there's 110,000 votes that have gone there and how much they're getting for each one of them is either $3.50 a ticket. So these guys can basically borrow money to then run their campaign knowing full well that they'll get at least 30 to 40% of the vote. So the voting ones comes back in, the taxpayer's dollar then goes back and pays off the loans that they took out to run a, camp- a marketing campaign. If you vote for an independent that money doesn't go to either the party. Um, if that independent doesn't get above 4%, they don't get the cash either. It literally just saves, you know, it, it saves you $3.50 in tax, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a massive amount of money involved in elections in both the federal and the state one. Um, but they changed the rules, so it was obviously harder for new parties to get started, like the registration process has been a bit of a rock show. Um and then not just that, you've obviously got it. Once you get a seat in, it really rewards the, the bigger parties. Um, and the 4% rule, I think, came in because there was people winning seats off under under 1% just because of the weird preference system we have here. Um, so, But the fact that they left a clause in where Labor can get money from um, trades unions and Liberal can get money from the Cormac Foundation Undisclosed, undisclosed as well. Yep. Yeah. So they're the only two places basically you can get money from. So unless the CFMEU want to throw cash my way and all the Cormac Foundation want to throw cash my way, I literally have to try and get people to donate money. And if a business person, for example, like if Gina Ronhart wanted to get behind me and throw millions of dollars, she can't because it's just not, it's just not possible unless she perhaps there might be a backdoor into it where she could donate money to the Cormac Foundation who'd probably take a percentage and then they could give it to me. That might be a backdoor into it. I, I don't really know. But, like, then it just has, it starts getting really shady. Um, you know, like, the, the idea behind the transparency on donations makes sense, but it just seems to be it, – it's like if you had transparency on how much money you were getting from – all the all the um from the Cormac Foundation and who donated into that, etc. Then that would make sense. But it's a very it's a transparency clause that they've brought out to try and stuff people around, like Vic Party, for example. I mean, I don't know what's what's been found there or why they've why they've terminated it based off cash. But 
I dare say it's because somebody from Labor's probably bullied them and put in a complaint to VEC that gets listened to that way, but not otherwise. Yeah, the good old VEC. I've dealt with them um, firsthand, so um, very, very interesting. But yeah, it's it's just crazy. It, it just uh, it, it's hard for a, a smaller party to get up. It's hard for even independent like um, like Ian. You know, I've spoke about this a couple of podcasts ago that. Even if you were looking to, to donate, um, what, what's the threshold? I think it's over a thousand. You have to disclose your name and details, don't you? So, um, is that the number? Am I right? No, I think it's lower than that. I think it's like anything over. Uh, I think I think it's fifty bucks. Anything over fifty bucks, you have to disclose. Yeah, but you you can only do, you can only donate up to one thousand and eighty per year. So. In a four-year period, you can give. I think it's four thousand three hundred. But then, you know, in a, in, a, in a state like Victoria, that's heavily influenced by public service, it's heavily influenced by government. I've mentioned this numerous times. You might be Joe Schmo, but you might have government contracts. You might be. You might have a small business that does, you know, some sort of construction uh, for, for inner-city buildings, and you have you have some government kickbacks or something to do with the government, right? Dan Andrews can literally get a printout and be like, "Oh, you know, you donated to this party, did you, mate? Okay." Okay, when, when I'm back, when I'm back in in, th- in two months' time, there's an X through your funding, there's an X through your grants, that, and that's just not right. And I think it's it's mafia esque in the way it's run. Um, and that's not a blame on the current government or anything like that. I mean, they they did tweak some of the rules, but it's a losing game for smaller parties. And you, and, and then on top of that, um, as you mentioned, you're you're you you have to either get donations or self fund your way into into the election. Not well knowing that you don't have that that threshold to repay yourself like Liberal and Labor do. So, what chance is there of a smaller party ever even getting up in this country? Well, and and I've I've spoken to people in relation to like preferences and, and that sort of thing where they're like, mate, look, if you're not really part of one of the major parties, you you're not going to get in just due to the fact that they all preference each other to get seats all around the the state. But um, you know, look. You'd be surprised the um, the minor parties that hate each other publicly that still work together to get each other seats everywhere. It's it's a real weird sort of situation. But um, you look at the the way that I could get up realistically is I have to meet fifty five thousand people to vote for me. So you know because I can't compete with um, I think Josh Frydenberg's area was doing sixty thousand bucks a month just in Facebook ads alone. <laughs> um, you know, and if I can only get like I need sixty people to donate a thousand dollars to me, and so like, who, who's going to who's got the money to do that for starters, and then and then who's going to do it when they everybody hates politics. Um, but it's also so embedded with um, the government that even community radio, like community radio, gets grants from the government. So if I turn up, I'm like, hey mate, can I come on? They're like, oh, we don't do politics. Um, it's like they'll they'll do an ad for me if I pay them, which is fine. Um, and the the fact that they're not doing politics for anybody is fine too, because at least that's even. But there's so many so many people that I've reached out to who are are too scared to be involved because the government obviously gives them cash and they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the RSLs, well, they, well, they example, are doing politics, arguably, if they're advertising it. So it, it, it's the same thing. It's just the, the whoever's got the deeper pockets is going to do politics on that station. <laughs> yeah. Um, like a lot of local papers are like, yeah, yeah we, um, we, we're going to do a uh, – we can do a full page for you. I'm like, oh, sweet. No dramas. When do you want me to come in and do an interview? And they're like, oh, no, just send it to us and we'll put it in. And I was like, okay, that's weird. You don't want to – you know, have a back and forth and, and ask me questions about things. And they're like, no, no, it's like it, it'll be um, – if you want to do a half page, it's um, it's 2,000. If you want to do a full page, it's 4,000. <laughs> yeah, great. So, you you want me to put an ad in your paper is what you're saying. They're like, yeah, it'll be an article. I'm like, it's, yeah, but it's not. I've just paid and you're putting in whatever I'm writing. Like, it's just – that mm. that wasn't – that was surprising. I, I didn't realise like even just local papers were doing that. And then – 
the more places I go, like if I go to an RSL, they're like, yeah, we love the fact you're a veteran and, you know, we like Heston and that's that's all good and well. I'm like, cool, can I hold a thing here? They're like, nah. I'm like, okay. Well, what about if we just sit here and literally talk about, you know, Department of Veteran Affairs and veteran suicide and thing? They're like, yeah, you can do that as Chris, but you can't do that as Chris from politics. I was like, all right. You know, like there's there's all these organisations that are that are just so scared of the government to to be able to say their own thing, and and that obviously carries over to the police and the fireys and and everybody else. Their their bosses are elected or are put in place by the government, so they can't really spruik off about it, or they'll be gone. Exactly. But I guess you know, they, I mean, they have to be able to sleep at night. So, well, that's the thing. But uh, that's what I was talking about. Like a, one one. The, the the compliment I give Dan Andrews is he's almost clock politics in that state, you know, um, in a, in, not in a good way in my opinion, but he ha- I got to give him that compliment. But he, he's he's got his nose in almost everyone's pocket um, by definition, and even if it's if he doesn't have it, you know, straight to the pocket, it's 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 there's layers. There's someone that can still affect that business or that person or. You know, and, and and everything's involved with with, with public funding. There, um, someone's involved with politics in some way in a grant, like I just said, and, and that's a disappointing thing. Where people, like you said, yeah, they have to sleep at night, but they also have to sleep at night knowing that they could lose their job and not be able to put food on the table for their kids as well. So, do I blame the, the average Joe completely? Probably not. Um, there's a lot of pressure there, but you you do have to stand up at some point. But but most people's priorities are their wife and kids and their family, right? So. You kind of get why they remain silent, but but look, it is disappointing, and it's just something that I've I've observed from afar. I've experienced it firsthand with 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 certain projects I had going on in Victoria. That all of a sudden, ah, we don't want to do it anymore because <laughs> you because you're against the, the Andrews government, basically um, reading between the lines. And I'm like, okay, fair enough, I get it. I'm I'm happy to live with kind of the the, the consequences of, of of my voice and standing up for what I, what I thought was right, and I'm okay with that. I can afford to do that, but there's a lot of people that can't, so. I I can't be a hypocrite and, and throw shit on those people because they're in a tough situation, I think. Yeah, and, and I, I get that a lot where they're like, oh, where were you, you know, where were you two years ago? And I was like, I was out trying to do the best I could do in my situation. Like I was never I was never at a protest. I if I went to a house and somebody was having a party, I would try and, you know, appease them, you know, look, mate, obviously your neighbours are scared, propaganda, etc. They've been you know, brainwashed into thinking that you're the worst person in the world because you're having a party, or perhaps they're just lonely and they can't have a party because they don't have a share house with 12 people in it like you do. Um, you know, like I was out there and, and and doing that sort of thing and doing my job where armed crime was still happening. Like people are still doing burglaries, people are still doing drugs, people are still trying to commit suicide, you know, all, all that was still going on. So it's a bit it's a bit rude to because the same coppers were going to protest every time. Like a bloke in Mildura has no idea what happened in the city. He like wasn't there. Um, you know, and yet he's still going to cop the same grief that everybody else did. Anyone inside the Ring of Steel had a completely different life as a copper than they did outside. A lot of places didn't even have cases of COVID for a year and a half and they were still getting locked down. And the local copper there, I can guarantee you, was not running around trying to enforce COVID laws. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, at the same time, I, like most people that I know in the job who don't like it anymore, lock themselves into a mortgage and have a car loan and and have all these other things just assuming that the world was going to go on fine. And then, you know, at some point something comes up and you've got to make a decision on what you want to do. And then my my, my watershed thing was Hessen started talking about running for politics. I'm like, yeah, I've been complaining about it for a year and a half. I'm going to do something. Um, and now, I mean, that'll come at the expense of maybe having to sell my house or 
you know, like I might have to sell my motorbike to keep going until November. Like it's, I can't get donations. So it's not like I can get a donation to pay for my mortgage. Like, but that's something that I've had to deal with. And then, you know, if Dan gets back in again, uh, whether I stay in Victoria or not, there's another question. Um, you know, like there's, there's work in South Australia and stuff that I might go to. But this is, the thing is, I can't, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that I'd bitched and moaned and complained about everything over the last year and a half and not done anything about it. So if I don't get elected, then so be it. Like it's still it's still a de- democratic society. Um, I mean, it's not obviously geared in my favour to get up. Like I'm, I'm well aware that I'm a, I'm a fair underdog, especially if my party doesn't get registered. Now I'm just one dude who is trying to get above these two massive parties that have heaps of cash. But um, the only thing is I can do what the other parties don't do and I can go to all these little country towns and speak to them, and then a lot of country towns care more about the fact that you came out there, and um, which is more than a lot of their local representatives have done in the past. So the only thing I can do really to get up is to do what they're not willing to do, which is actually go and speak to people in that area. And it's, it's a shame because country towns are, are forgotten about, especially when elections come to town. Um, I'll give you an example. I was I was in Lismore, New South Wales, over the weekend. Um, I had reached out to. I reached out to some people there at the local basketball association earlier this year when 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 they went through a you know um, a dismal couple of months of of, of floods. Um, so I just you know called them and said, look, I'll come down and um, and do a do a clinic for kids in your town. You guys can raise money from it. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care if you make money. If you don't, you don't owe me anything. And I went and did that, and I, I drove down there and I drove through town, and it's it's still still in a bad way, right? And um, it made me think like, man, like this was a big big issue on TV. All the politicians were talking about it, you know, um, the election, ScoMo and Elbow were talking about it, this, that. And I drove through there and it was – a lot of shops were still boarded up. The town was dead. Um, speaking to a few locals, they've only got two two restaurants in town that aren't fast food have reopened since. So it's just disappointing because – the country towns are, are so important to you know not only for agriculture and what, what's on our on our table, but they're often forgotten about in elections. Um, and unless a crisis happens and these politicians can kind of fly in, fly out, and do a press conference, but you're right, the people there really were really thankful that I came down. And that, you know, the only reason I did it was just to try and boost morale and do something for a town that probably people have forgotten about. And they were really thankful just because I was there. Like, they didn't really care about. Anything else? There was even people that were like, "Hey, I don't agree with everything you say, but I really appreciate this." And it, it, I think it's a it's a valid point. But how do we how do we get you know? Because the big cities just dominate dominate everything. And look, the population's there; it's a democracy and whatnot. But I mean, come on! Like without some of these country towns and these these rural uh, places, we you know our society wouldn't function the way it does. I think it's um, a lot of it is ease ease of campaigning. If you like, for example, in Geelong, if I was literally running for the lower house of Geelong, I could probably actually do it myself and walk around and put flyers in everyone's letterbox. But you can also just get there's like 15 year old kids who just deliver junk mail, so it's it's easy enough to do. Um, in the seat of uh, Lowen or down in the southwest, etc., there is it's so far to get yeah, the same no 44,000 votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah like you you can't actually do it. You have to get Australia Post to do it, which costs a fortune because for them to go to every door in in that that state is is huge. Um, and that's why I'm saying I need, like, I've sort of been going to country pubs because at least that's a central sort of area. And a lot of the country pubs seem to be, like, I've got a couple from, like, one from Custard and just emailed me the other day saying, look, happy to help and get behind you. Um, what can we do to help? 
Um, so I'm gonna have to work out that we're trying to have a fundraiser around the um well not a fundraiser we're just trying to have a town hall basically where we can get the locals together um the dunkeld races are on so the night before which is um, remembrance day we'll be going out to hamilton and trying to work out an area there and then hopefully i can go to the casterton pub afterwards and and meet up with people there um you know it's just just going to places and then but even then like people from hamilton won't go to horsham and backwards and forwards it's like a 40 minute drive or whatever and they're like well i'm not going to leave my local town everywhere i go is far but they don't even – it's not even hard to understand them. They want – they've literally all just asked for roads, um, which considering how much <laughs> they use in fuel all the time, you'd think their excise would be able to pay for the roads. But they want mobile reception and they want a, G- a local GP that they can have for more than three days a week. <laughs> um, they'd love to have some rail system, but they're not – they're like, we're not greedy. How's about you just fix our roads? <laughs> um, you know, like yeah. they're not they're not even big things they're asking for, you know. It's not the, – they're not saying save the rock wallaby or – we want, to, we want you to change the zoning on this area for whatever else it is. They, they literally just want to be able to use a road and then when they hit a pothole that ruins their tyre or rim or breaks an axle, they want to be able to ring somebody to get help, but they can't because there's no reception. And then if they actually injure themselves, they want to be able to go to a hospital, but they can't. They can't even go to their local GP. Their local GP might be a 40-minute drive to the next town. You're like, these, these things are not massive issues that they're looking for. Um, you know, and I think it was the Hamilton Hospital had to do its own fundraising to try and get its first MRI machine. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're not asking for massive things. And I get that the city is really easy to campaign because you've got major arterials that you can put a big billboard up, which, again, I can't afford because who's got 30 grand to put on a – just put your face up on the side of a road. But, um, you know, and, and I'd love people to be paying more attention to politicians in their local area and what they're actually doing. Like the person you're voting for, you're not voting for Matt or Dan. You're literally voting for the local person in your area. Your your local person who is Labor or Liberal might actually be a really good person. Um, I mean, they're obviously guided by their party line, so they can't really be everything they want to be. But they might still be a decent person. But have you ever heard your local member? And have you ever heard a upper house member from your area? Like if you're if you're purely basing your vote off Matthew or um, Dan, then you're probably not really looking into who's governing you. Um, and that's fine. If, look, if you don't care, then you're going to get getting what you've always got. So, you know, but I would love for people to actually acknowledge the work that's – like um, Ben Collier from The Shoes and Fishers. I see him at half the shows that I'm at. Um, Amanda Mead, I know she's pushing stuff uphill because her seat has been safe and I think it's like a 60%, maybe even, maybe even higher for the Nationals. But, I mean, she's doing her best, cruising around on her own doing it. Um, Bev MacArthur from the Liberals, she seems to be the only upper house person from any of the bigger parties I've seen who actually goes out past Ballarat, Melton, Geelong. Um, but also Stuart Grimley I have spoken to. I haven't seen him out and about, but he was happy to speak to me when I went into Parliament House. So there are good people in there, and I think credit where credit's due. Those people have helped me out. Kath Cummings has been a great help for me as well. Um, so there are people in there who are happy to help. Mind you, Kath and Stuart are not in major parties, so that's a heads up as well. But um, Bev, Bev's a liberal um, and she has been talking to me and she's been, um, you know, she's she's open to doing some stuff with us um, where she can go and voice her opinions, I can voice mine. Um, so I think I think that's a, that's a, that's been good. So, I mean, I'm waiting for someone from Labor to speak to me, but. And that doesn't seem to be a, obviously they they've got their factions and and whatever it is they do in there, but it seems to be hard to break into unless you 
part of certain circles. Yeah, took certain boxes. Just take us through your marketing budget real quick. Um, your marketing budget that you're, you're traveling to, to the pubs in, in a van and sleeping in your van sometimes and just going from pub to pub. That's the marketing budget, right? Yeah. So, our secretary gave me a thousand flyers. Um, she printed them out. So, that's that's come out of her pocket. Um, I've just been driving around in my 1997 Delica. So, I've been saving on accommodation because I've got a van and I can sleep in the back. Um, but I just go around and then I went to Officeworks and I laminated a bunch of um, squares. They're probably 30 centimetres by 30 centimetres in each country or pub I go to and I get a punchy meal. Um, and then I was like, hey, mate, do you mind if I put this up? He's like, yeah, no dramas. Um, so that's sort of been the strategy at the moment. But, um, I mean, social media and stuff, who really knows? Like, I mean, I've got 25% of the people that follow me of – I don't know if you know, but I'm a pretty big deal. I've got about 800 followers now. Um, but 25, <laughs> and, you know, and 25, 25% of them are from America. So, um, you know, they can't vote for me. Um, and then, you know, 54% of it's from Melbourne. So they're not in my region either. So, I mean, social media is good for people to be able to look up and, and you've got a link tree on there so they can go to your website and see more about it. But social media, I'm, I'm aware, is a, is a large sounding board um, and it's just a target for mainstream media to jump on and, and, and pick holes in it. But if it gets traction, I mean, that was the idea behind Angry Victorians was, and we got far more traction out of Angry Victorians than we did out of Australian Values as a name. Yeah. Um, but regionally, Australian Values um, seem to make a lot of people happy, whereas in the city, Woke doesn't really like <laughs> the Australian Values as a name. Yeah, no. Which I, I was quite surprised that they could um, take Australian Values to be a bad thing, but, you know, each to their own. Um, obviously in my own echo chamber as well. So I'm 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 open to like I watch uh what's his name? Geordie Geordie Shanks or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't at friendly no point am I yeah, friendly Geordies, that's all. Um I'm I'm not a I'm not a big fan of uh labor and stuff, but I make sure I watch his because otherwise my algorithm would be completely skewed one way. Um, and I'd probably be on a, a watch list as a right-wing terrorist because my algorithm says so. Um, so I'll, I'll watch his. He's quite amusing, though, so I do appreciate that. But it, And he also has some very valid points. On- he does, yeah, and he, he can get outrageous a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've watched – I'm the same. I've watched I've watched some of his stuff too, and I think it's – you want to have that balance and see kind of what, what's going on on all sides, and I think that's where we're lost. I think it's, it's, so, it's so group identity now, politics, especially in the, probably not so much in the country, I don't know, but – at least in the, in, in the city, it's like, are you Labor or Liberal? Like, I'm neither. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you like, mean? Oh, so you're Greens then? Yeah. yeah. Or, or you're a teal? Yeah, what do you mean? Because I am I can't stand Labor. I hate the Labor government in Victoria. I think they're the most corrupt government we've had in a long, long time. So, then like, oh, you're a Liberal. Uh, good luck with your Murdoch media. I'm like, yeah, I'm not a Liberal neither though, bro. So- Oh well, you gotta be somebody. Like, no, I don't. I, I can take two. Like, I can take labor and liberal, and I can find, you know, all right. There's good in that one, and there's bad in that one, and that's good, and that's bad, and I can I can dissect it like like an adult should, right? I'm not gonna be like, hmm. oh, the bad things in, in in this party, they're bad. Yeah, but but the other party does bad things too. That's not an answer. <laughs> like that. That's what I was getting like with. You know, voicing up on socials, you say something bad about Labor and it's like, well, the Liberals do this. I'm like, well, well, Liberals aren't in power right now, number one. Number two, I don't vote for them. And number three, that's not an argument. It's like it's like when your kids punch on, you're like, yeah, but he did this. Like, that's not an excuse. Like, Yeah, yeah that's right. And it's just, it, it gets it gets nowhere. The, 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 the discussion gets nowhere and it just becomes like you're either- you know, an alt right Nazi, or you're a, you're a far left soy, soy boy. There's no most of the people fit in between that. <laughs> that that's that's what's crazy about it. That, and that was a that was an interesting thing that came up with um, 
So our stats, like I only got 12,000 votes um, first preference, but we got um, overall in the top six, we got 583,000 votes. So when I saw 12, I was just like, what did I just throw away my career for? <laughs> um, I was like, wow, I'm going to be just driving a truck soon and <laughs> trying to trying to make ends meet. But um, the 583 was weird because we had 130 of them were Labor and at no point were we preferenced at all by Labor um, and we had 150,000 were Liberal voters. Um, but they actually put us on their ticket somewhere. I think it was down the bottom somewhere. But it was interesting to see that we had, you know, roughly around 140 for both sides who got in, who got involved, um, which sort of led me to believe, well, maybe we are hitting hitting a market with being different from both. You know, like there's plenty of times where the Liberals have taken money over looking after people and then there's plenty of times where I think Labor have turned people into welfare recipients instead of encouraging them to be the best they can be. Yep. Um, you know, like and neither party is, you know, the perfect party and that's that's fine. Like you need to have opposing views, but the more opposing views you can get in there, I would suggest the better. Of course, we have a discussion like adults. Um, mm. that's, that's what I was waiting for during the COVID year. I was waiting for some sort of discussion that had people that were pro-lockdown, anti, people that were all in pro-vaccine, people that were kind of skeptical, people that were anti, and just have a conversation so people can, you know, instead it was just labels and we're going to quiet them, we're going to promote them. And I don't think a functioning society can just can just continue in a prosperous way that way. You know, I think you got to have – um, discussions that are uncomfortable for you or for me, and that we dis- we, we respectfully disagree, and that's where I think, as as a nation, as a state, as a the world, I think has has, has just gone crazy. You you can't have conversations that are disagreeable because oh, we can't be friends anymore. And it's like what? <laughs> like, you know, we can disagree on on many different things. I'm sure you and I have things that we disagree on, but that's that's a part of moving forward, and it's it's kind of a an interesting time in our society that that just it just goes down a silent and what a silence breed it then breeds extremism in my opinion because you know you've got someone that is voicing stupid opinions or something that's just you know off the charts crazy that needs to be you know you need to talk down to that person and be like hey that's crazy like don't don't you know blah 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 I strongly disagree with that they then disappear into like a little incel group with other people that like you said echo chamber and then they've got four or five people that all disagree with each other. You want those those views out in the open so you can push back on them. That's how kids get red- radicalised as well. Like they they have some opinion and people are like, whoa, whoa, man, that's crazy. And then, you know, they're like, oh, so I can't talk to anyone about it. And then they're like, no, man, you're you're the worst person ever. So then they go and hide and then they look on the internet. They're like, was what I was saying really crazy? And then when you type in what you want to see, you're going to get yeah. what you want to see. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly now, right. Dangerous. And now all of a sudden you're part of some weird Facebook group and, you're getting messages over YouTube and then whatever. And then, you know, that kid's doing some crazy shit shooting up a school or, you know, doing mm. whatever else it is. You know, like if, if you don't listen to these people, like a lot of the people that I speak to um, when I was a negotiator who wanted to kill themselves literally just wanted to talk. Um, and they might have had a bunch of outlandish statements that they wanted to say, but they couldn't say it to anybody. You know, and, and, and with suicide, people are like, I'm thinking about killing myself. Like the, the first thing, you'd see these people who'd be sitting on a bridge and – Coppers who haven't done the negotiator course are still too scared to ask them if they're thinking about hurting themselves. It's like they're sitting on a bridge looking down. They've got their shoes off. You know, they've, they've rung their family. Look, we both know what's happening here. And the biggest thing is just being able to bring it up and put it on the table and say, hey, mate, you're obviously looking at killing yourself or harming yourself or however you want to say it. And it's like, talk to me. Why? Why, why have you got to this point? I mean, you've got, you've got support. You've got friends. You've got family. How did you get to this point? And then a lot of time they'll just turn around, they'll, they'll break down, and then they'll go, this is the first time I've been able to speak to somebody. 
and you know, like I mean, they should have been able to go to get help. They should have been able to see a psych. I mean, in COVID, you can't see them, and it's all over Zoom. But um, you know, like you'd love to be able to have these conversations where you know, if somebody is starting to go down a path where they're feeling hard done by, or you know, they they hate white people because they did whatever, and you're like, well, okay, let's let's talk through that. Is this literally just your situation? And your your problem, or is this actually a systemic thing that we need to fix? Or you know, like these guys are taking all our jobs. You, know, you look at um, immigrants and, and jobs, for example. Everyone's like they're taking all our jobs, and then you go to the regions. They want immigrants to come out there and work because they can't get Australians to come out there and work. It, it, that's that's been cyclical, yeah, for a long, long time. Yeah, and it's funny because the city all think the regions are racist, but they're all trying to get immigrants out there because the Australians are just sitting there and they're like, "Well, I get welfare, so why would I go out and work hard?" Because it is hard work. Um, and we're not into that anymore. But it's it's just interesting yep. the perspectives of of what the city think the regions are and and vice versa because we can't have conversations without PC shutting us down and cancelling us. Yeah, you got you got to be able to have, have the discussion. I'm beyond pro discussion whether I disagree or agree as long as it's you know no abuse, no threats. Um, act like an adult. If you're an adult about it, if you're a child, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna block you. I'm gonna tell you to to leave. But um, I think it's a different time in our society. Give me. If you're elected tomorrow, Chris, give me three things, three things you do immediately. Well, again, being an independent, it's pretty hard to get a party on board. But um, I would love to see um, like a public office um, disciplinary act where if you are found guilty by IBAC or ICAC that there's actually jail time that can be involved. Um, Because I'm sick of seeing monetary fines being given out, which is no doubt paid for by the taxpayer anyway. Um, I would love to see an increase in spending in regional roads um, and rail. And I would love to see pretty much everybody who's been kicked out from a mandate to be reinstated. And I know that's not going to fix things because there's a lot of people now that don't want to go back to places that kicked them out that way. But, for example, the police are leaving at two to one. It's like, why don't you ring every member that's left in the last year and then ask them to come back on a part-time basis at minimum because they've left on mental health grounds or whatever other reason it is instead of just trying to shoehorn anybody who's putting their hand up to be a copper now, that way you can at least appease it, same as all the nurses that have left. If you can put them, get the old ones, ring them back, apologise for how we went, um, this is the way we went with it, was it right or not, it's irrelevant, we're sorry about that, can you please come back and help us whilst we get people through? Because we're not going to fix this health system in three years' time if we're giving out free degrees. For starters, they're not free. They come out of somewhere else and we're already in more debt than anywhere else. So I would suggest me being Western region, the biggest issues that I've found driving around have been the roads are horrid. Your reception's terrible. Um, they, they need more doctors and hospitals. And the Osnet Towers seems to be a massive thing where that was designed to go in by 2075 from what I've been told. And now that we're trying to be net zero by 2030, that whole thing needs to be scrapped. Um, but they also need to do it properly and put them underground. So that sort of seems to be the biggest issues I've found out in my travels at the moment for Western Region. I thought windmills. I thought everyone in the country loves massive windmills along their rolling hills. Is that not right? <laughs> well, the thing is, a lot of those people are happy. Like, well, I don't know, they're happy to have windmills, but they they understand what what they're trying to achieve. But the power lines that go from there and the massive transfer stations that take up a massive amount of area. Like people don't people just go sweet. It's a windmill. It's no big deal, and they think of like an old. Rustic windmill that no, they're pumps massive. Water Those things are huge. Yeah. yeah, they're they're ginormous things. They fall down. They start fires. 
Um, you know, then you've got the power lines that go through and they're above ground that are 80 metres tall and then when it gets to a certain wind, they can just fall over. So now there's a OHS area underneath it, which is why the, the farmers can't use them anymore. And overall, they'll be a lot more expensive. So within 10 years, with the maintenance and stuff, if you'd put them underground, it's a lot easier. You can have one dude with a Hilux driving around going to the transfer boxes to have a look and try and find a fault as opposed to choppers and drones and everything flying all over the place. And you save a lot more birds. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the birds are going to die in the windmills anyway, but, yeah. I mean, you, you can pick and choose what you what you want to get behind, I think, if you're one of the greens. Yeah, exactly. Save the environment. You lose a, lose a few birds, that's all right. But, uh, yeah, I tried to build a house tried to build a house in Melbourne and, and got in trouble because there was a few trees that had certain birds. So it's just it, it's, it's, it's uh, <laughs> hilarious in itself. Yeah. And you've also got, um, if you put them underground, I think they were, when I was talking to those net guys, it was, I reckon they're, they're still going to have to cut down around 150,000 trees. But if mm-hmm. you leave the power lines up where they're running, they're going to have to cut down about half a million. Yeah. You know, like, so if, you, if you're talking greens and then you're losing 500,000 trees, I dare say there's birds in those trees, there's habitat, there's all this sort of stuff, you know, like, and then you're, you're prone to it falling over and starting a bushfire. So... You know, they, they never look at these things holistically. Yeah, yeah, yeah not, not from the inner city anyway. The, I mean, your life experiences, obviously, we spoke earlier. Um, you've, you've done a lot of different things. Life experiences, to me, I think that they should be the number one thing for politicians. Why do so many politicians have none? Um, well, I mean, a lot of them like, turn literally, up. Literally. Like, they, they, they go from bloody graduate uni, they, they, they be an aide to a politician, they go straight into politics. I mean- I'm I'm big on the I think some I think you should have some sort of small business background or you, you got to be in the in the public sector that's not involved with government for a certain amount of time to be a politician but um, that rule would never get passed because they'd never allow it but I mean it just seems like no, none of them no rare a rare amount of politicians at least in the big parties have never had that that, that hard never say never but a small percentage of them, you know have they ever worked you know, on a, on a dairy farm? Have they ever been a mechanic? Have they ever ran their own business? Have they ever, you know, been in the army? You know what I'm saying? It just it just seems like it's the same ilk that go in day in, day out. Well, a lot of it is, you know, they, they join up as a young liberal or young labour or whatever young group it is you want to turn up to. Um, and then you sit there and you are an understudy for a while and then it's almost like you've got a, you know, it's like a bikey gang where you've got to serve your time on the outside, um, you know, Doing doing stuff on the outside, and then you you get to have a seat as a staffer, and then after that, then you will be looked at, and you know you're like, all right, he's been he's been here for fifteen years, he's pretty staunch as a as a as a Labor lackey or you know Liberal punter or whatever it is you want to be, um, and then they're like, all right, well, now that he's you know he's twenty five, we'll make him a staffer, and then you're like, okay, he's been a staffer for ten years now, you've been pretty good at that, um, have you thought about running, um, and then you get a you know you might get a a seat as a opposition person for you know, in, a, in a safe seat to to run for the next eight years and then eventually they'll be like this guy's pretty good and you're 45 now and you've you know you started at 18 you've never done anything else because you're you're too busy trying to do your time as a politician um and i find it funny when people say like what experience do you have as a politician i'm like well none i've got experience as a person and enforcing laws that i think are bull uh, a lot of the time are rubbish um, you know, like I've I've seen what what laws leading to people wanting to commit suicide, are uh, leading to divorces, uh, you know, making farmers kill themselves because they can't do anything. Like, there's a lot of laws that affect people that don't affect anybody in Spring Street. Um, so although I've never sat in there and and yelled and carried on and and made a racket for three minutes so I get kicked out by the speaker whilst finding it hilarious and likely being drunk or on drugs, 
Um, no, I haven't done that. I've always had a job that made me get drug tested. I've always had to be zero zero anytime I've gone to work. So I have a different job. Um, you know, and none of that none of that is the case in in politics. So if you've joined at eighteen and then you finally get a run at forty five, you know, like what what else have you done in the meantime? You've basically all you've done is kept your social media clean. You've never had an out there opinion on anything, so you can't have any quotes against your name that are bad. Like I'm sure if I actually got elected that the um you know, the mainstream media are gonna find all sorts of photos of me from footy trips or basketball trips or whatever it is I've been on and I mean it'll be good to go down memory lane, I guess. But um, <laughs> you know, like it's 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 just part of part of life and it's so many people that I know don't want to run run for politics because they're like, mate, social media will bring everyone unstuck and it's like, well, if I was twenty one and was running a mark as a drunk person then does that mean I'm now unable to make a decision at forty? Me personally, I think the more mistakes you made when you were younger, the more you've learnt. Um, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, you said this when you were 28, and then you're like, okay, well, now I think that was stupid when I said it. So, yeah. Everyone on their high horse, mate, It's just it just boggles my mind because if you take your worst moment of your life, whether you did something stupid or said something stupid, I don't care at what age and I don't care, you know, whether you're these people that's clean on social media, whoever you, you're, you're the most virtuous person in the world. If I find you at your most vulnerable when you said something stupid or did something stupid and I posted it on social media, you'd be canceled, right? So let's not all sit here and think that we've not, like you said, making mistakes, that's how you grow. Failure makes you grow. Failure makes you learn from things, messing up, saying the wrong thing, um, saying something inappropriate, swearing, you know, swearing in, when you're in primary school, all these kind of things build you into someone that knows that's right from wrong but we're almost in a point in society where it's like no no no, i I didn't do no wrong i'm virtuous it's like that's not possible you know like you said maybe you've cleaned your tracks or your social media but you know i think people that make mistakes that own up to them and move on i mean that's the way to go but for for these people that sit there just slinging shit saying that you should be cancelled oh you said something inappropriate oh you're part of this group so you're shunned from society they're all hypocrites, and and eventually it always comes out. It's the same people that it always comes out with within a year or two or three. They get arrested for something silly, or they find out they did this, or they, you know, had multiple multiple uh, women or men on the side, whatever it is, right? And it's just it's just very hypocritical. So I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I think everyone's made mistakes in the past. It's how you how you learn from them to move forward. Might have to um, make my intro speech just like Eminem from Eight Mile, and just out out everything I've ever done in my thing. So it's like, all right, that's where we're at. So. Let's yeah, I'll, I'll get ahead of the curve. All right, yeah. last 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 one. We've got a little birdies. Um, mm. Little birdies have told us. Do you think you're Batman? <laughs> okay, you're right. <laughs> Fair stitch up. I don't think I'm Batman because I don't have the money for it. If I had the okay. money for it, I'd be I'd be all about that. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I like to try and hold myself to Batman, where he tries to do whatever he thinks is right even though you might have to go outside the system sometimes. Hence, I have my own party because I don't think you can change it from a major party. Um, I also have a black motorbike that looks like the Bat- the Batmobile and pretty much every copper that I know thinks that they were Batman, which is why they joined. Okay. I'm aware of who this person is, so I will be speaking to them later. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, I know you don't like to do- ask for donations, but- I want to know where people can donate, where can we find you, website, give us all that goss so people can jump on the interwebs and find you. Yeah, so at the moment we are on angryvictorians.org.au and then that should have some links up and running. Currently we have the issue of 
registration um, and the back and forth of the VEC. So I haven't asked for any donations yet. I haven't um, named any other candidates that we have because I don't want to tarnish them with a party that didn't get registered. Like I'll, I'll wear that because that's, that's my job as the leader. Um, and if I'm independent um, or in another party or whatever it is, then I will start asking for donations then. But if anybody wants to go to the webpage, that'll be where we're at. Um, that'll be – it has links to all our socials, whether you're on LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Um, and I have a massive staff of, I think, three people now who are who are helping out in their own time um, who, will, who will get back to you. But, um, yeah, look, we, we, we tend to post a bit more on Instagram. Um, I have a Twitter. I wouldn't bother – following it because i've never logged into it yet but somebody made one for me um but yeah so i mean that's that's where we're at hopefully by the end of the week we'll know more about our our registration and um what that means because the the rules seem to be different whether you're in a minor party or as an independent on what how much you can donate and that sort of thing but um a thing i'm sort of more looking at is if you can donate um flyers that i can take out or if you can donate um money so I can have petrol to drive or diesel to drive somewhere else. Mind you, the van looks like it might be dead anyway, so I'll be cruising around on the Batmobile. Um, but, you know, like any any we can do that. So whether people are like, I don't want to just give this guy money, I would I would prefer to be able to say, look, you gave me 50 bucks, I put it into fuel, which meant I could get from Lara to Warnable or whatever it is on the bike. Um, like I, I want to have transparency on if, if people are, and this is why I haven't asked for donations yet, I want to be able to have how much money came in and then have sort of updates on where I've been spending the money, whether it be Facebook ads or fuel or whatever else it is. Or even if I have little thermometer gauges somewhere on a web page where I'm like, I'm trying to get a thousand dollars so we can organize an event in Dunkeld and people in Dunkeld will be like, Hey, we're all about that. We're going to it. They can put money into it. So it should be up on the website if they, um, if they want to have a look. All right, everyone, jump on that website. Um, donate if you like what you hear. I appreciate your time, Chris. Chris Burson from the Angry Victorians Party. Um, I think um, a lot of a lot of good cherries in that chat, and we appreciate your time on Rogue Bugs. You, um, I, I heard that you had a room that you wanted to talk to me about being at the front of Dan Andrews' house. <laughs> How do we do it? Huh? I, I'm. Uh, I, was it? Was that you? Was it? Yeah, I was at the front. Well, not all the time, but so. And, and a lot of people give, give him grief because he's got plain clothes police that walk with him. Just mm-hmm. so everyone's aware, that's always been the case for the Premier. They've always had at least two people that are, that are on him. Um, but we also then sat at the front of his place. Um, I never understood that because I would have thought, if you're not home, why do you get more police than anyone else? Like, surely he has the money. Like, what was he, on 1200 bucks a day on sick leave? Like surely mm-hmm. he can afford for his own security to sit out the front or patrol his street or whatever else it is. Um, I, I found it very interesting that we have two people at the front of his house twenty four seven at a cost of most members there are probably on a hundred grand a year. So if you look at that, three shifts, two people at the front. What are we on? Like probably six hundred grand a year. You're spending just purely on police resources, just sitting at the front of his house. Yeah, that's that's paid for by me, mate, and you. So. <laughs> I don't think he's too concerned about that, but um, yeah, I, I know I know where it is. I know in the the, the nice affluent suburb you're speaking of, um, word spreads fast. But uh, yeah, do you have any people driving by figuring it out or not really? Yeah, so we had um, a couple a couple of things. With, well, we had uh, one 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 guy came past and actually tried to steal the car, 
because um, they just saw a, a, a nice a nice car park there and they were they tried the door and then they were met by some pretty tooled up police. So that was a bit of a rookie mistake by them, but that had nothing to do with Dan. Um, there was another dude who was jumping in front yards, but again, that was just a drug-affected dude who was uh, looking to try and steal stuff. So that was unlucky that he picked the wrong street. But um, we did on – I can't remember which lockdown it was, but one of the lockdowns, some lady turned up and parked out the front and just started cranking, we're not going to take it anymore, which was hilarious. <laughs> That's great. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, that that was good from her, but um, then obviously that upset certain people. So, I'm pretty sure she ended up with a ticket. But, um, but besides that, there wasn't really all that much that we heard of that was going on. Um, there was more stuff that happened in the area that had nothing to do with that with Dan. That was the um, that was more the case. Mm, interesting. I know. I know he was at Crown for a long, long time uh, for security reasons. I know he was staying at the Crown Casino. So my little birdies told me that. Um, but yeah, then had to move out to the nice affluent suburb that we fund, which is which is always nice. But um, look, I don't, I don't wish him any ill will as far as injury. Um, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone, even people that I, I severely disagree with. But I just want him out of politics, yeah, in Victoria. That's that's just a small ask. I think just a small thing that you know. Hopefully, he can he can help us with in November. Well, at least, at least, even if I, um, even if he does get back in again, and I'm in the upper house, at least I can make it hard for him to just put through rules willy nilly, because he still has to come through through the upper house. And the more people you've got in the upper house that aren't playing some sort of, um, you know, preference game, and and, and may, may have got a seat by doing deals with Labor, then the better I would suggest. Hundred percent. All right, Chris. Thank you for your time. Cheers. Thank you very much. Let's get rogue.